Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to A History of Europe, Kibato's podcast. This is The Great Northern War and the Battle of Poltava, Part 3. In the year 1707, Charles XII, King of Sweden, had defeated two of his three neighbours who had invaded in 1700 and had triggered the Great Northern War. The conflict with Denmark had been brief, but the war against Augustus II, Elector of Saxony and King of Poland, had dragged on for several years, which gave Peter the Great of Russia time to make further improvements of his army and to seize territory from the Swedes on the Baltic coast. Yet Charles, still only in his mid-twenties, had repeatedly demonstrated both great bravery and also great tactical skill as a military commander. Rather than attempt to reconquer lost territory in Livonia, Charles decided to launch an audacious campaign towards Moscow through Poland. Charles had good reason to distrust Peter's peace overtures and to choose the moment now to wage war against him, writes Robert Frost. The regular corps of the Russian army was still small, and Charles was aware of an upsurge in opposition to Peter which had begun in Astrakhan in 1705, and also of widespread Cossack discontent. The Swedish field army was more experienced and better equipped than at any time since 1700. Charles would have been naive to believe that Peter's ambitions for the Baltic could be easily sated. The only way to secure a lasting peace and long-term security for the Baltic provinces, he calculated, was to destroy the Russian army and force Peter to settle on Swedish terms. The Swedish army of almost 44,000 men left Saxony on the 22nd of August 1707 and marched eastwards through Poland. Charles also expected to be joined by a further contingent of 11,400 troops under General Levenhaupt, who were on their way from Livonia. The Russian strategy was to withdraw before the enemy offensive, and to simultaneously scorch and starve all regions through which the Swedes might be expected to advance. They destroyed roads and bridges, and attempted to wear down the Swedes with small skirmishes. 
Poland therefore became a battleground between two foreign powers, as Peter Englund put it, like a grain of corn between two millstones. The Swedish army determined to eat its way through an already destitute countryside, and the Russians destroyed as much as possible before the enemy arrived. The Swedes marched through the snow-clad forests of Mazovia, arriving at the end of January 1708 at the river Niemann, where they crossed and captured the town of Grodno, evacuated by the Russians a few hours before. The Swedes continued, although the bad winter roads took a heavy toll on men and horses. In early spring, they rested a while in the town of Redoshkovsky, in today's Belarus, rooting out the local peasants' last crumbs of food. When the Swedish army began marching again in June, it became apparent to the Russians that they were heading to Moscow rather than to the Baltic. They passed eastwards through the River Gate, where the two great rivers, the Daugava and Dnieper, created an almost unbroken barrier of water along the Russian border of the time, from the Baltic to the Black Sea. The Russians launched an attack on the 4th of July at the town of Holovchin. The Swedes came out on top, inflicting some 5,000 Russian casualties, for 1,200 of their own lost, but it was a hard-fought battle. They set up camp for a month, principally to wait for the support army of General Levenhaupt to arrive. Levenhaupt was marching as fast as he could, but delayed by heavy rains, he was unable to reach the main army before it had to move on once again. By the 11th of September, 80 kilometres west from Smolensk, the army again paused to catch its breath. The situation was problematic, for the Swedes were short of food, and the area east around Smolensk had been made a wasteland. To stand and wait for Levenhaupt was not an option because of the lack of supplies. Sickness and desertion were on the increase. Charles's solution was to turn south into Ukraine, which had been left untouched and so contained enough supplies to keep the Swedish army alive. Charles was in discussion with a Cossack leader named Ivan Mezepa, whose support he hoped to gain. Another reason for turning south was to bring the Swedes closer to the Turks and Tatars, whom Charles had good reason to believe might be persuaded to join the war against Russia. However, it was a mistake to continue south without first joining up with Levenhaupt. Peter sent Sheremetev to shadow the main Swedish army, while detaching a force of nearly 7,000 dragoons and 5,000 infantry to move swiftly on Levenhaupt's troops. The Battle of Lesnaya began in the early afternoon of the 28th of September, and fighting continued until nightfall, when a snowstorm brought it to a halt. The outnumbered Swedes fought back hard, but were unable to save the vital supply train, and lost nearly half their number. Charles not only lost a significant number of men, but vital supplies of clothes, food, ammunition and medicine.
Charles's main army nevertheless continued south, where they found an abundance of honey, flax and hemp, which could be bought cheaply. By December, however, the situation deteriorated rapidly, when there was a sudden turn in the weather in what proved to be one of the fiercest winters of the century. In the coldest nap in late December, men froze to death overnight, which weakened the army and reduced morale. It became more important than ever to win the hoped-for support from the rebel Cossack hetman Ivan Mazepa. Ivan Mazepa is a fascinating character whose life and exploits have inspired many literary, artistic and musical works, including by Voltaire, Lord Byron, Alexander Pushkin and Victor Hugo, and he is depicted on banknotes of Ukraine. He was born in 1639, the son of a petty nobleman in right bank Ukraine, east of the Dnieper, then held by the Poles. He became a commander of Cossack forces at a young age in the service of Poland. At the height of the Khmelnytsky revolt of 1648, described in an earlier podcast, he was sent to Warsaw and worked for King John Casimir, who paid for his education and sent him on diplomatic missions to the Cossacks. This stage of his career lasted until the year 1663, when in consequence of court intrigue and some amorous misadventures, returned home to Ukraine. Soon afterwards he entered the service of Petro Doroshenko, a Cossack leader who, working with the Ottoman Turks and Crimean Tatars, was trying to unite Ukraine. He rose rapidly through the ranks until he was captured by pro-Muscovite Zaporozhian Cossacks. But his imprisonment didn't last long, as he found his way into the good graces of the Muscovite government. Convinced that Mazepa could be of use to them, the Muscovites sent him back to Ukraine, but to the Muscovite-controlled left bank. The political stability of the region then, together with the relatively broad autonomy granted by Muscovy, helped revive the economy and cultural life centred on Kiev. Mazepa, a master of political intrigue, once more rose rapidly through the ranks and became hetman of the Left Bank Cossacks in 1687. He did his best to promote the continuing economic and cultural revival, including the restoration of churches that had fallen into disrepair. Among them are the St. Sophia Cathedral, as well as the Domitian Cathedral and the Holy Trinity Church in the Cave Monastery in Kiev. The style of the architectural monuments of that era became known as Cossack or Mazeppa Baroque. Mazeppa also protected the interests of his fellow gentry by suppressing the peasant revolts which broke out at the beginning of his rule. He had a close relationship with Peter the Great, who developed a strong liking and trust in the older Cossack hetman. For his part, Mazeppa served Peter faithfully in his anti-Ottoman wars, and the Tsar reciprocated with lavish gifts and land grants. With such help from the highest quarters, Mazeppa was able to survive all attempts by his rivals to unseat him. In 
In the year 1704, Peter requested Mazeppa to cross into the right bank and give support to King Augustus' opponent against Sweden. Mazeppa couldn't prevent the city of Lviv in Galicia from falling into Charles's hands, but was able to hold onto the right bank, Palatinates of Kiev and Bratislav, and there set up a Cossack administration. Peter now expected the region to be returned to his ally Augustus, but Mazeppa had other plans. In spite of the hetman's long-time apparent loyalty to the Tsar, his true colours now emerged. As now, age 69, he saw an opportunity to reassert Cossack independence by trying to play off his neighbours. Since the outbreak of the Great Northern War in 1700, Ukraine's dependence on Russia cost it dear. More than 40,000 people had been sent into battle and casualty rates in some regiments were as high as 60 or 70 percent. Moreover, they had been compelled to serve in regions far from homeland. Most deeply resented was being forced to participate in the construction of St Petersburg. The appalling conditions of the workers in the new imperial city and the high death rate there led to the city being described as built on bones. And the writer, Karamzin, at a mirror of Peter's overall achievement, wrote the foundations of the city were tears and corpses. In addition, Mazeppa received numerous complaints from the civilian population of Ukraine about the abusive conduct of Muscovite troops stationed on Ukrainian territory. It seemed to Mazeppa and his closest advisers that the time was right to reconsider being an ally of Muscovy and to work instead with Charles XII of Sweden. No firm decision was made until Charles launched his invasion towards Moscow. When the Swedish army turned south into Ukraine, Peter ordered Mazeppa to attack the invaders and burn down his own towns and villages in Charles's path. Mazeppa had a dilemma. Obey the Tsar's orders as he had done so many times in the past, or join Charles in the hope that a Cossack-Swedish alliance might bring about political advantages to Ukraine. After delaying the decision for several weeks in an attempt to put off the inevitable, Mazeppa finally made his decision in October 1708 and defected to the Swedes. In return for his support, he hoped that Sweden, who expected to become a greater power in Eastern Europe, would guarantee the independence of a Cossack Ukraine. Mazeppa, in his caution to keep his possible plans for defection secret, had failed to conduct any agitation to encourage a popular uprising. When Tsar Peter learned of Mazeppa's defection, he was shocked, disbelieving that the previously loyal 70-year-old hetman would turn on him. When the truth sank in, retribution was swift. He ordered the Russian army to attack the hetman's capital at Baturin. The Russians arrived at Baturin shortly before the Swedish were able to reach there, and for three days ransacked the city and massacred the citizens, killing more than 10,000 men, women and children. The troops also seized military supplies and provisions that Mazeppa had planned for his own army and the Swedes. 
in the so-called War of Manifestos, Peter accused Mazeppa of treason. In response, Mazeppa retorted that the Tsar had violated the Cossack rights and freedoms guaranteed to Khmelnytsky and his successors. However, the Cossacks were divided, and several Cossack leaders, terrified by the prospect of retribution by the Russians, failed to bring their troops to join the uprising, and many even joined Moscow's side. There was also little support for Mazeppa among the townspeople and peasants, who were more inclined towards an orthodox Tsar than a Protestant Swede. Mazeppa was therefore able to rally fewer than 4,000 troops to help Charles. He was, however, joined by about 8,000 Zaporozhian Cossacks from the Lower Dnieper, who shared his ambition for greater Cossack independence. In spite of Cossack reinforcements, the strategic situation for the Swedes had deteriorated, and the long march had taken a heavy toll on their numbers, reducing the army to half its original size. Russian losses had been greater than the Swedish in the various skirmishes, but they were on home ground and could easily replenish their ranks with fresh recruits. Charles worked to bring up reinforcements from Poland, Turkey and Crimea. Short of supplies, Charles laid siege to the Russian fortress at Poltava on the river Vorskla on the 2nd of May 1709, where then took place the most decisive battle of the Great Northern War. It's always great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page, Twitter, at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles, or you can write to me directly, Carl, that's C A R L, at historyeurope.net. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash historyeurope, where you can sign up for $3 a month to gain some extra material. I hope you can join me next time for the next part of the Great Northern War. Until then, all the best and goodbye.